Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. We've taken the podcast on the road today. We're recording in the freezing cold of Des Moines, Iowa, though not terribly cold in this hotel room, uh, where we're preparing for tomorrow's Democratic debate at Drake University. I know there has been unseasonably warm weather on the East Coast. That is not the case here. I, Jeff Zeleny, who's our guest today, I think I saw your Instagram. You took off. It was 60-something degrees yesterday. And when you landed in Des Moines? 26. 26 degrees. Hey, January in Iowa. I don't think we should have expected anything else. But apologies for the echo you might hear. We are in our producer's hotel room, and uh, we appreciate that he has put his dirty laundry aside. Anyway, today... I'm joined by the very special guest you just heard from. That is my colleague, Jeff Zeleny. He is CNN's senior Washington correspondent. Jeff, thanks for being here. Hey, David. Great to be here. So we're going to do two things in this show. We're going to handle impeachment as we do every day. But I also am going to want to talk to you in a little bit about uh, the big debate tomorrow and where we are in the 2020 race, uh, specifically here in Iowa. But, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi has actually now going to be moving forward and sending the articles of impeachment over to the Senate. She's meeting with her House Democratic Caucus tomorrow morning, and then we'll proceed to have a vote on who the House managers are and send those articles over, kicking off uh, the formal Senate trial experience. Uh, you know, it is clear that uh, she thinks she's reframed the debate in advance of the trial, and it sounds uh, perhaps a little poll tested about how much an emphasis she is putting on the notion of the need for a quote unquote fair trial. She says it time and again. Here was Pelosi with George Stephanopoulos yesterday on ABC's This Week. It's about a fair trial. They take an oath uh, to uh, take have a fair trial. And we think that would be with witnesses and documentation. So that dynamic has now the ball is in their court to either do that or pay a price. But, Jeff, now we're learning that President Trump may not want a trial at all. And this is so interesting, David, because President Trump quite literally has been all over the map on this. And we are uh, just learning this afternoon from our colleagues on the Hill and indeed at the White House that uh, that the president and his team are now talking to Mitch McConnell and other Senate Republicans about uh, including uh, something in the proceedings where after the opening arguments, there would be essentially a motion to dismiss, a motion to uh, dismiss the entire um, a proceeding. Unclear if that will go forward. I'm skeptical, and this is why. Uh, Mitch McConnell has a couple different masters he's serving. One, of course, is trying to please President Trump and keep this as, you know, as tight as possible. But he's also concerned more than ever about holding his majority. So speaking of fair trial, that works both ways. So one of the uh, Republican sort of um, imperatives of a fair trial is actually having a semblance of a full trial, not trying to shortcut this, not trying to short circuit it. And some of the Republicans who are up um, this November as well um, may be concerned about the idea of just uh, dismissing this out of hand. So we have to think in every calculation, what would Susan Collins think about this? I mean, not what would uh, Jesus do? What would Susan Collins <laughs> think of this? What would Cory Gardner think of this? Here in Iowa, what would Joni Ernst think of this? So there is a notion of a fair trial on both sides. That is sort of the talking point here. But the reality, President Trump— I mean, Trump, I think that's why Pelosi said in that bite, or sure. they pay a price. She sees there is some political pressure that she's trying to bring to bear. She absolutely and is. And the public sentiment is on the notion— of witnesses should be part of this experience. Because we think of a trial, we watch them on television, you know, we see Law and & Order and other, you know, melodramas over the years. Uh, I loved L.A. Law, but that's so <laughs> dating ourselves. Um, we think witnesses. But if it's not going to be exactly like that, my question is, once President Trump actually sees this unfolding, is he going to want uh, more of the flair? Is he going to want, you know, his lawyers to be presenting something? We don't know this, but I 
be, would be surprised if he gets his wish to um, sort of dismiss this before it begins. I agree totally with what you're saying that an immediate dismissal seems politically untenable for for a lot of these potentially vulnerable Republicans. And by the way, even for those that have expressed some concern, like a Mitt Romney or a Lamar Alexander that are either retiring or in safe states who just have a different uh, take on Trump overall than maybe uh, everyone in the conference uh, on the Senate side. But so I take that point. What is not clear to me is if this if we're going to get to see witnesses, I mean, I, I, I do think so much of that is going to depend on how those first few days of the trial land with the American people. And if it looks I, I mean, feel free to disagree, but I, I just think if it looks like this is Washington doing its thing, maybe there's not going to be an outcry for witnesses and they will be able to move through this pretty quickly. I'm not sure there's an outcry for much of anything. I think one thing that Speaker Pelosi um, has lost in this is a sense of urgency. Um, you know, there's no question that she's gained a few things. I mean, obviously, John Bolton now has agreed to uh, testify under subpoena. You know, there have been emails released, other matters, but there is not a sense of urgency at the moment. Perhaps that will return. So there's not a lot of clamoring here. I mean, there was so much drama, if you will, leading up to that House vote really in the final days uh, before the holidays uh, last month. Now it seems like it's kind of dissipated and everyone believes that they know the outcome. And that is probably true. We probably know that this president almost certainly will not be convicted given the makeup of the Senate. But we don't know what is going to happen between now and then. And I would be very surprised if it follows any script that we're even thinking of right now. Well, that is usually the case. Um, we're about to also see a lot of ceremony, right? I mean, when even before the actual trial begins, the appointment of the managers, the walking across the rotunda from the House side to the Senate side, the chief justice of the United States, there will be a lot of sort of pageantry that could come as early as this week that may um, add to the import of the moment. I think so. And I think it will come as early as uh, as Wednesday or Thursday, most likely, at least given the schedule as we know right now. I was told by a top senior aide to a Democratic senator who happens to be running for president that uh, <laughs> Chuck Schumer had a conference call last night with uh, all of the Democratic senators. And he was basically advising them on their uh, travel plans and schedules for the week. And he said, get back to Washington by Wednesday morning because you could be sworn in then. So it could happen Wednesday or Thursday. But you're absolutely right about the drama of walking across from the House to the Senate. I spent uh, several days last week up on Capitol Hill, my old stomping grounds. I covered Congress for a long time. And making that walk from the House floor to the Senate floor, it's about the length of you know a couple football fields or so. It's pretty long. You know, you go through Statuary Hall, you go through the rotunda, but it will be so dramatic to see these articles sort of brought over, really not since uh, the inauguration or something like that. Is there so much uh, formality? Um, you know, so at least that will, I think, remind people of uh, what is going on. Jeff, we did get a little bit of insight into how folks here in Iowa, at least, which is, you know, a good symbol of the heartland, uh, how they are responding uh, to the impeachment. In our latest uh, CNN Des Moines Register Iowa poll, uh, 48% of registered voters here in Iowa say the president, uh, as you said, we may know the conclusion of this, should not be removed from office. 40% say he should be convicted and removed from office. Uh Clearly, that's to the president's favor, but not overly dramatically so. It's a it's a pretty closely divided universe. But what I found so fascinating in the poll, Jeff, was independent voters. A slim majority, 51 percent say he should not be removed from office. Thirty four percent say he should. That 
to me is where if you're Donald Trump, if you're Mitch McConnell, you're feeling pretty good about where you are heading into the trial. I think that's right. And I was actually a perfect place to have this uh, sample of voters because it, you know, um, has been a swing state in recent years. It's not at the moment to President Trump uh, carried it by uh, 9.4 uh, percentage points, I believe, in 2016. But look, there is a sense of uh, fatigue out there. I think the number I was looking at was among those independents, as you were saying, and that is uh, a sense that I'm not sure that House Democrats haven't made their case on this. It's the fact that the pushback was so robust and aggressive that people went to their respective corners here. So, I mean, the the pushback from President Trump, you know, a hoax, a witch hunt um, was very robust. I think there's an exhaustion factor. So that, I guess, is the central question as this goes to the Senate. What new information, if any, will come out? But we will hear you know, these opening arguments, and we will hear from the president's defense team. Um, and that is something else that is also still being up for discussion. The president still wants some of those House uh, friends of his, uh, Jim Jordan, others, on the uh, Senate floor. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, unclear if that will, it will happen. Jeff, we're going to pause right there in this conversation. I want to delve into tomorrow's debate and the 2020 state of play. But first, a quick break. Welcome back to the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. I'm David Chalian talking with my esteemed colleague, Jeff Zeleny, CNN's senior Washington correspondent. Uh, Jeff, it is getting a little nasty out there uh, on the uh, campaign trail. Uh, Bernie Sanders specifically, I think, has spent the last week or so really changing into a different gear in terms of engaging his opponents, namely Joe Biden, uh, certainly on his uh, vote in the Iraq war, the very different uh, worldviews that they have about intervention uh, in the world with the U.S. military, obviously in light of the Iran news, uh, hitting him on trade uh, and clearly indicating he, he wants a fight tomorrow night with Joe Biden. But then we saw this Politico story over the weekend that uh, his campaign has a script out there with volunteers uh knocking on doors and basically painting Elizabeth Warren as an elitist. He says he had nothing to do with that. And then today, our colleague MJ Lee uh, reported that um, in the sort of famous non-aggression pact meeting between Warren and Sanders in December of 2018, that uh, apparently, according to MJ's reporting, uh, Sanders told Warren in that meeting he doesn't think a woman can win. So uh, there seems to be a whole new level of engagement that uh, Sanders is is taking on here as we head into the debate tomorrow night. No doubt. And even if we didn't have this uh, you know, sort of countdown clock running to uh, three weeks from tonight or the Iowa caucuses, you can feel it in the air. You can feel uh, just by reading what the candidates are saying, by listening to them, that things are getting much more aggressive because time is running out. And one thing I detect from Bernie Sanders is he is rising in the polls, at least here in Iowa, in our Des Moines Register, a CNN poll, as well as other polls. So Bernie Sanders now is playing to win, and he's playing to do something not just to uh, promote his cause or a movement. It's a much different Bernie Sanders than we have seen throughout the course of the year. Through many debates, he was kind of standing back and kind of being playful with Joe Biden and, you know, and other people, perfectly happy to sort of uh, retreat from the conversation. Not and this as time. you said, making his case always for Medicare for all for and sure. doing that, but yes. For sure, but not uh, eager to engage in, in the mix. He is signaling a fight. He's doing everything but saying, OK, this is what I want to talk about at the debate on Tuesday night. So, look, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch 
uh, really Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden to litigate something that's not been litigated inside this Democratic Party for quite some time. And that's a conversation about war. That's a conversation about the uh, you know, the place of America in the world. I mean, you uh, well remember, David, we spent so much time in this state and others during the 2008 campaign, even the 04 campaign. So this is essentially the fourth Democratic primary in a row where, you know, this is still the specter of the Iraq war is still very much in the center of it. And Joe Biden uh, has already renounced long ago uh, his vote for the Iraq war, but he will probably have to do so again and explain his worldview. And any long record comes with some um, positives and negatives. And his foreign policy record certainly is filled with both in the eyes of many. So that is going to be a fascinating dynamic. But I think you're also right. Boy, this Warren Sanders feud. I kind of wonder if it's hotter now than it actually will be on stage. If both That has of them- tended to be every time. they they When they are up there together, they tend to retreat from really wanting to engage each other. Ex- exactly. Except Elizabeth Warren is in a position where she needs to make a move. And I think that that is um, um, certainly uh, behind some of the, the great reporting that our MJ Lee had in terms of, uh, of the meeting with Bernie Sanders. So, And also in Warren's response uh, to the Sanders campaign script flap, because she clearly saw an opportunity there. She sees it when she said, you know, I'm disappointed in Bernie Sanders. That he was talking and, trash about me. Yeah, and he should turn this campaign around to a different direction. And she brought up the specter, Jeff, of the lingering bitterness that exists among many Democrats uh, in the party about the aftermath of the Clinton-Sanders uh, primary, where a lot of Democrats think the way that Sanders handled that was a, a real problem for Hillary Clinton come November and one of the reasons why she lost to Donald Trump. She all but said, stopped just a shy, uh, a, a tick away from saying, because of how Bernie Sanders treated Hillary Clinton, that's what, you know, one of the reasons Donald Trump was elected. That was the subtext of exactly what she was saying. And it's funny, when you talk to Democrats, they do harbor, a lot of them do harbor that sort of suspicion of Bernie Sanders. Is he really one of us? Is he really a true Democrat or is he in for himself? And he has constantly said he'll campaign for the nominee, but that is exactly what she was trying to remind folks of. That So any Hillary Clinton a voter out there, and there were uh, millions, um, I think that's exactly what she was doing. So she may be more aggressive on the debate stage Tuesday evening than uh, Senator Sanders. We'll see. Um, I want to geek out a little bit more on our Iowa Des Moines Register poll, uh, CNN Des Moines Register poll here in Iowa that uh, we did on the Democratic nomination race. Um, I I want to put this question to you because I'm fascinated by this. You and I have covered many Iowa caucuses. We know that enthusiasm is very important because of the way the caucus system works. you got to show up on a cold night on a Monday in January show up to your local meeting and stay there and commit to your candidate. So enthusiasm for that candidate matters. And we also know that your dedication to do that, to go in caucus matters. And so I look at the numbers and I see, wow, Bernie Sanders supporters are by far more extremely enthusiastic about their choice than other candidates supporters are for them. And he has a greater share of the electorate, the four in 10 that say they're locked in, Sanders has a greater share of those than anyone else. Those are clearly good things for him. The flip side of that, and I want you to settle this debate for me, is that the 60 percent who may change their mind, who say they might consider another candidate or haven't made up their mind yet, those people are not likely to go to Bernie Sanders at all. They're, they're, they're not there. So is it that he is um, has some sort of a ceiling here in Iowa, despite all that great enthusiasm and commitment? He certainly has a ceiling among committed 
uh, Democratic establishment uh, caucus goers, no doubt. Now, he could certainly be, you know, finding a ton of new people who have not participated. And I expect I suspect that uh, he's he is doing that. That's what they're trying to do. But among the rank and file regular, you know, uh, party faithful, uh, most of them believe that he would not be good for the party. Most of them believe that uh, the socialism label, if it's accurate or not, most would say it's probably not, is going to kill him in November. So I think that uh, he is sort of locked in a little bit in the sense that he has not as much growth potential unless he finds and drags new people to the polls. And if the party's saying there's going to be this record turnout, so maybe he that will be in some part due to bringing a lot of new people into the process. I think it could be. And I think, um, you know, one of the other obvious... Uh, reasons the Democrats are so engaged is because of the sitting president. I mean, he is the, you know, the energizer bunny, if you will, for Democrats. But one thing about Iowa, David, you know, uh, this as well as anyone in all the, um, you know, time that we've spent here, I started um, my journalism career at the Des Moines Register covering the Iowa caucuses. And it is that enthusiasm. But right around this point in time, it comes time to pick a president. I will never forget that that is what a voter told me in 2004 when he switched from Howard Dean to John Kerry. Howard Dean had stayed in his house. He was a doctor in Ames. His name was Bob Gitchell. He's no longer with us. But Howard Dean had stayed in his house several times. He suddenly decided, I'm going to vote for John Kerry. I said, Bob, how could this be? He's like, it comes time to pick a president. And he thought John Kerry was more presidential. So we don't know who's playing those roles this year. But when it comes time to pick a president, which it is now, it could benefit a Joe Biden or, uh, you know, maybe a Buttigieg or, you know, in some view, uh, Sanders. But I think that's why the debate is so important. It's the single most important thing to happen between now and February 3rd. No doubt about it. And I can't wait uh, to spend these next three weeks covering it with you and watch it uh, unfold. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Greatly appreciate your insights. We'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in. Remember, we've got a new episode every weeknight, so please make sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a rating or a comment. It helps people find the show. We'll see you tomorrow.